0: Welcome to The Last Thing I Saw. This is another in the Can series of podcasts where we are reporting pretty fresh, at least in terms of the age of the movies, not in terms of my own personal fatigue levels from uh, from Cannes. And uh, today I'm pleased to be chatting again with Mr. Eric Hines. Hello, Eric. Hey, Nick. How you doing? I'm okay. Yeah. I'm okay. I'm exaggerating. I'm not actually that tired, but I did have the feeling that I've already been here for a week, which I think is a common sentiment.
1: It's indeed the common sentiment. Yeah. I think I've yeah. been here for three nights and feels like it's been at least a week.
0: Yeah. Which I mean, less as a, you know, whining about being on a lovely coast and just more about how immersive it is and how oh, yeah. much it's like a bubble and that sort of thing.
1: Well, I mean, yesterday I had a 16 hour screening day. Yeah. You know, and that's just not a normal workday at it's all. <laughs> work so that day. is enough to be make it feel like two days in one at
0: least. It's true. You had four or five. 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 Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, that's...
1: But no, I mean, that's not a complaint. It's just like yeah. the, our, our sense of time being... Warped, I think, is what, that's where that comes
0: from. Yeah, it's, it's that the time is just very dense because movie time is very dense. <laughs> uh, <laughs> because it's more eventful than my life, personally.
1: Is that the new tagline for the last thing I saw? Movie <laughs> time is really dense. Movie time is very dense.
0: <laughs> the density of time. So, uh, we'll dive right into uh, the movies that we've seen. And I think the one that we're probably most excited about in our recent viewing is EO. EO. Uh, from... Gierzy Skolomowski. Yeah. The venerable Gierzy Skolomowski, yeah. who I think I first. His first movie that I really loved was The Shout, I want to say. That was him, uh-huh. I believe.
1: Basically, a, a, a Polish new wave mm-hmm. legend who's still yeah. around. Yeah. Um, and his, his uh, productivity has lessened in the last couple decades. So it's kind of like thrilling to see him pop up with this film, which is also kind of this just act of virtuosity, too. I mean, yeah. just. You never know what you're going to get from a filmmaker at this stage in their career. You never know what you're going to get from a filmmaker at the stage in their career when it's called EO and it's about a donkey. Yes. (laughs) But it is, like, full on.
0: Yeah, it's incredible. There's just total freedom. You know, it's like, I guess there are different kinds of late movie, I guess, if if you want to think of it as that. Like, one is the kind of elegiac or, you know, Mm -hmm. um, contemplative one. The other is the, I'll do whatever the hell I want. Uh, And sometimes those are, like the same you know right but yeah this is definitely i mean for one thing doesn't feel like a last movie no or,
1: <laughs> no. You know, no uh
0: at all it's just yeah and 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 this the story is comparatively you know what you might have read which is basically the trials and tribulations of a donkey
1: it's sort of i mean totally misleading but it's sort of a, of a remake or a sort of like a, a riff inspired by oh, oh hazard balthazar though yeah the yeah
0: which itself is like a, a kind of an act of hubris that only someone like this could like put up with. Absolutely. <laughs> doing yeah. it. All-
1: well, and to get away with it without that being the only thing people are going to talk about. Yes. Any other filmmaker of an earlier stage in their career, they'd be talking about, "Wow, that! Wow, I can't believe you you decided to remake one of the greatest yeah. films of all time." This is just—it's—it's one—it's just like a, a a sort of a foundation for what he wants to do. Yeah,
0: it's it's really just the most general of an outline for it, and it's not as if he does it because he remembers that movie fondly or something he just you know so it's less about that the 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 premise ultimately more about just the kind of sensorial journey he takes us on which is incredible from the first frame
1: yes indeed which
0: (laughs) you always feel like something's gone wrong because (laughs) it's this red gel light strobe effect of a woman kind of leaning concernedly over a donkey and you don't know what the hell is going on. You know, is this like an, an emergency room? <laughs> a donkey emergency room or something? But it's, yeah, it's something more like a Gaspar Noe like yeah, than, than anything else. But that's how the movie starts. That's how it starts. <laughs> yeah.
1: And what ensues is a kind of peripatetic, episodic, you know, journey of this donkey exchanging hands and going from different locations and each one allows an opportunity to kind of You know, dwell on a different aspect of life of sort of contemporary Poland and different region, but also allows for kind of just unlimited uh, formal optical. I mean, experimentation isn't quite it because he's actually has too strong a hand and too sort of so much certainty behind the imagery there that it's. I wouldn't call it you know in in a sort of like lower case e experimental sense yeah but it is definitely like everything from fish eyes to wide angles mm-hmm. to gels as you're saying to yeah. hyper crisp to otherwise I mean it's really all over the place
0: yeah and and you know if you say experiment with a movie about a donkey or an animal you might think oh they had a donkey cam or something like that
1: I think at least a couple times there's right. a, little, a couple POV but like maybe for 10 seconds yeah
0: and often like totally unannounced too you know and sometimes you have to figure out whether it's his perspective or someone's point of view very close to him to the donkey and even what it is his vision is sometimes almost like a little blurred around the edges Mm -hmm. if it's him and that you just have this constant like shifting or shuffling between different modes of perception not always his which felt this great way of just like unseating you from what you'd expect without going the kind of obvious route of just yeah strapping a gopro to his (laughs) to his snout
1: exactly yeah no i mean it is it's it don't we there's so much to say and there's you and i were both thrilled walking out of it um but it also is the sort of film where anything is going to be a disservice because you it's an experience it's an yeah. experience to take the french authorities are blaring in the background so in case you're hearing sirens folks it's oh a
0: that's right yeah we are again uh on, <laughs> on a terrace so you'll you'll hear the full uh cityscape and choppers the, ahead chopper is the occasional rhubarb of uh <laughs> speaking in the background but yeah and it i mean it's also just i have to say that it's it's gorgeous like yeah, really you know gorgeous. it's not like it's a kind of like shaky handheld that just is resting on on, on that kinetic accomplishment although it also has that but there'll also be these kind of spellbinding wide shots of things landscapes and and then mm-hmm. it's also laced throughout with kind of unpredictable you know kind of macabre mm-hmm. humor and also kind of antic humor totally and then it does you know at times kind of bloom into this portrait of like the the post-industrial grotesque or something you know yeah yeah.
1: it's not like easy yeah there's there's even like a homage to 2001 there's a sequence (laughs) that pops in there that's just this duochromatic drone passage but it doesn't play as drone it sort of plays much more like the helicopter shots in 2001 which is actually hard to do these days so yeah and also like probably one of the most impressive scores I've heard in a very long time yes and also in, in its
0: own way as diverse as diverse yeah but yeah you know as you say it's kind of something you have to you have to sit through and it also you know it's not kind of like slapdash the, the weirdest part about it almost is how sure-footed it mm-hmm. is and how every decision he's making and every yeah kind of left field thing that comes out it's like oh yeah that makes sense yeah And I can't even always articulate (laughs) why. Sure. So that's exciting.
1: Yeah, it's not the... And this can also come from a late film. It can also come from a young film, that this sense of, I'm going to give this a try. I'm going to see how this goes. Mm -hmm. And maybe I'll create a culture in this film that will allow you to let me do that, whether or not it works. Yeah. That's not how this plays, even though the form of it would seem to be where it's going. Yeah.
0: I mean, there's so much you could say about EO, uh, but that's kind of our initial first draft of it. And we're, uh, you know, we have another movie to talk about that I think probably is more anticipated because I guess probably didn't know much one way or another about EO or or just thought kind of in a fond way, oh, how nice. (laughs) (laughs) But the other movie that we we saw on the same day. Same day, yeah. One after the other for me. Is Armageddon Time, James Gray film. Want to do the
1: honors? Oh, boy. Uh, The honors for the James Gray. Well, it is, you know, I think it's an honor to be able to see a James Gray film and I was excited about this one, you know, whether I'm not exactly sure. I've not actually seen an interview with him uh, yet on the ground. So I'm not exactly sure exactly how much he's admitting to the degree of its autobiogra- autobiographical elements. But it seems very, very autobiographical. It's set in Queens about a young uh, schoolboy in 1980 who seems like pretty much the same age or a similar age as James Gray would have been in 1980. Right. And uh, his troubles in school being a bit of a sort of class clown and, and, and him being then sent to a private school over the course of the film. And his relationship with his family, you know, Jewish second I think second generation Jewish uh, family in in Queens, and you know, it is it is uh, I would say. F- in terms of James Gray films, probably his lightest, hardest film. You know, like the sort of, it, you know, it, it, it sort of floats above the ground a little bit more when he's sort of known as being more pretentious and portentous and more kind of brown scale in his palette. Although that's actually still an element here, too. But, you know, there's, there's a comedic element here. There's Anne Hathaway and Jeremy Strong play his parents, and Anthony Hopkins plays his wise Jewish grandfather. And yeah, those are the sort of the outline of it there's obviously more and other angles yeah. to approach you know as you say I, yeah it is because it
0: is kind of more light in, in some way I, it also just struck me as a movie that is large in the sense that it's obviously like a big you know production That, but at the same time very small it, yeah it feels it feels like it could be like a kind of intimate indie you know except he right. happens to be making it with this this cast
1: yeah there's like a Linklater feel to it
0: yeah it's it's just sort of episodic, I guess, vaguely things coming out of his relationship with his parents and his relationship, his friendship uh, yeah. with a with student.
1: Yeah, so the, they're, the, right, so the main relationship there is with a, a fellow student, uh, yeah. um, Black friend, which is sort of part of what he's exploring, yeah. does not travel with him when he goes to private school, right. and the sort of uh, difficulties of maintaining that friendship.
0: Yes, and I guess the thing that kind of jumped out to me just about this main character, and, and the name is pretty close to I mean, him. What is it, Graph? <laughs> yes. Like- I mean, he really is kind of a dreamer in a way. I mean, he—he's what felt true to a child's experience is how he's constantly having these conversations where adults are, like, telling him something he should remember or are themselves going through something. Right. You know, like his mother really grieving um, over death. And he understands and he feels and he's empathetic about that. But also some part of him, you know, he's thinking about what he's going to do in school or something. Um, And that was kind of right on, I thought. So I, I like
1: that. Yeah, I mean, it's it's one of these. I, I'm, I go back to you know when we first started doing these podcast conversations at, at festivals, and one of the reasons we wanted to do it is because it didn't feel like the reviews out of festivals yeah. were the right expression for what we're going through and how we're processing things, and and I do feel grateful for that in terms of this film. I would not want to be writing a deadline review out of this festival, Um, and I actually feel like the history of James Gray's films being covered at festivals sort of speaks to that. They don't necessarily lend themselves to this environment, and, you know, I I would be lying if I said that I immediately loved this film, Mm -hmm. but I am eager to revisit it, and I'm eager to give it a different approach, but there, there was something that felt a little bit, the, the sort of most general thing I could possibly say is that it didn't always sort of be clicking. It didn't, so it, like the machine of it, machinery of it wasn't quite sort of smoothly operating for me, and, and and I think the biggest problem for that might be the reason that I was most anticipating it is because it is a New York outer borough story mm-hmm. um, from a time when I was also a New York outer borough kid, and, and James Gray has always sort of, strenuously strived for veracity you know and uh, there's something about in particular the 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 sort of amalgam of accent approaches Mm -hmm. that do make some of those scenes feel like like you're less transported to that moment and more in a room with people sort of doing their best to approximate something yeah which is tough that's a tough way to feel I have a feeling that I might have that experience more than others do because of where I'm coming from, and it also might be something that I've given up on caring about by the next time I saw it. Um, right. But I do think that isn't particularly challenging with the two leads, and it is always difficult to have a film like this sort of banking on the performances of two very young leads. Um, and I think that there are times when they shine, and there are times when they don't, and, and I think it's probably the right decision not to have them adopt a queen's accent from 1980 but it is it's quite noticeable um Mm -hmm. because in a sense it suspending disbelief and accepting them as kids and queens in 1980 is tough and it's they start becoming more like kids cast in a a, a hollywood movie because of the way they speak
0: yeah i mean that's an example of something where i'd be Fascinated to hear him talking about that because you know that these are the things that he thought through. Oh yeah, and of so course. I'd be, I'm really curious to hear what the thinking through that is. I mean, along those lines, one thing that I was afraid that was sort of going to take me out was Anthony Hopkins right. having a role as his as the boy's grandfather, who's really close and is sort of the person who is on his wavelength. Or although he turns out to be a person who is on a lot of people's wavelength, and kind of is like this. You know, listening presence for a lot of people, but actually was okay with him. I don't know. I was totally okay with him and, too, yeah. And I mean, I kind of felt that he was just kind of being Anthony Hopkins, the grandpa, the yeah. avuncular or grandfatherly presence. And, you know, he does have an English accent, and there's a reason in the story for why that's so. yeah I don't know, I was all right with that. Well, I mean,
1: and, he, and, and James Gray does have, interestingly, a, a history of casting. Very obviously non-Jewish characters in Jewish roles, and as a Jewish filmmaker, that's always been interesting to me. You know, which which means the choice becomes an interesting one, and sometimes it really works. I think it does work in this case. Whereas something like Mank, which is a non-Jewish filmmaker casting a very non-Jewish actor (laughs) to do, you know, I don't know, a little little soft shoe for us, (laughs) it's something (laughs) that I find far more bothersome than Yeah, yeah,
0: that's actually. If I recall correctly, that was like a major, if not the major, objection when I was uh, talking about the movie with Gwitz's grandson, who wrote uh-huh. a book recently. <laughs> He's just like, why? I don't get it. There there's was no one? There's so many Jewish yeah. actors of that uh, age. So I don't know. But uh, I think... We're soon gonna run to another movie now. Yes. The way it is, but if, if Eric is willing, I would love to hear a fresh report of a pretty unique film yeah. in in the festival this year, and, and a late edition, actually. You know, like there was a separate um, release about it because, for tragic reasons, really, it's it's kind of an unexpected, unexpectedly completed film, unexpectedly and prematurely, in a way, existent. <laughs>
1: Yeah. So um, yeah, completed uh, is a bit of a stretch because you know though there's a there's a there's a feature length form that's being presented. And yes, the the, the filmmaker tragically died while filming in Ukraine. Um, and this is Mariupolos Two by Mantis Kvedarvichus. And he had made a film previously called Mariupolis, uh about a previous moment in that in that city. And this one, I actually think it actually would better serve the film if it was a little bit more people were a little more upfront about the fact that it is sort of a rough assembly or it's an assembly mm-hmm. of footage. Um, And it's a lot of the footage that he shot. So you're looking at sometimes multiple takes. So there's a lot of jump cuts and a lot of revisiting of the the same landscapes and shots to sort of see how differences have have Mm. occurred. Um, And it's also, I think, actually captured over a relatively short span of time. It begins when there already had been significant shelling in the city. And you're with a very small group of people basically gathered around uh, a church, a Baptist church, Uh. that has mostly stood and kind of almost all the homes and buildings around it have been decimated but but the church remains and so like the community of people are staying in like the basement of the church that's where they're sleeping and then during the day the sort of various folks are in, involved in cooking for the people who were there basically using firewood from the collapsed buildings around them to cook giant pots of soup and joking, prognosticating, throwing around a bit you know, dodgy, you know, political opinions about what's happening and then also like scrounging around in some of the buildings for supplies. Right. Yeah, and it sort of ends in a moment when the there's there's an a sense that the the shelling will have ceased and at that point the the church wants to close its doors basically to preserve itself and to send the community back into the community to find structures to live in from there. Hmm. And it is a uh, you know mantis I think you know dies very soon. Mantis dies uh, just a few days after the last footage is shot. But there's no build-up to such a thing, really. It's documenting what's happening during those days, Hmm. followed by silence, by nothing. So it's a very, very valuable thing to look at right now. Incredible that it exists. I believe his widow was involved sort of getting it into a a form. But just having watched the thing, you know, I I hope it there are opportunities for people to see it going forward. But I think it really is important to look at it as, you know and I wouldn't say found footage but kind of like the last footage um from a shoot yeah. um, and a shoot captured by somebody who's both part of a community trying to survive this moment mm-hmm. and and looking to document it for for some version of what we're seeing now
0: yeah no I'm I'm really eager to see that at some point and with the knowledge that I, it might even be something different by the time I see it. it could be yeah so it's kind of Remarkable to see that here as well, whether, you know, you have something like Armageddon time, which is, you know, like it is totally complete. But I think we'll wrap it up there and we'll be back soon with more movies. I'm eager to be back. Yes. We'll do it again. Happy movie going. <laughs> you as well, Nick. Okay. You've been listening to The Last Thing I Saw with your host, Nicholas Rapold. This episode was co-produced by John Gaudio please consider signing up at repoll.substack.com. Special thanks to the Minarets for the opening music. Thank you for listening.